morning. How are we all doing? Great time of worship, wasn't it? It was really good, really good. Um, welcome, I can't do a, um, I'm just going to call you Richard Godwin. <laughs> so that's just christening, just another. Um, yeah, good to see you again. I hope you enjoyed your time away. Good, good stuff. And good to see Irene's sister at the back there as well. <laughs> When I saw her this morning, I was saying um, Happy New Year. I was like, well, I've not seen her this year, so it's still in order. Okay, so everyone that came around yesterday, well done, fantastic job. Um, we have next Saturday to go again. Um, let's have it in mind. Um, it, it, was really, it was really good. It was really good. Um, you know, I was talking to two girls yesterday, one 12-year-old and one 13-year-old. Um, eventually led them to the Lord, which was great. And I remember that I got saved when I was 12. You know, and when I remember that, I just thought, I'm just going to go for it. I'm not going to hold it back because at their age, I heard the gospel and I got saved so they can as well get saved, you know. The gospel is powerful. Now, this morning, I'm going to be um, talking about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready? <laughs> the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's a good time to remind ourselves what the gospel is. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I slept and I woke up with this word or with this question, what is the gospel? And then I thought, okay, that's something to talk about. Um, so as I talk this morning, I'll touch on that. But, you know, this morning I just wanted to, you know, call our minds back to what the gospel is, especially, you know, we are in, you know, the passion month and season, and there's so much talk about Jesus, his death, his resurrection, um, and, you know, we're going to have a couple of weeks going out and, and, so to say, sharing the gospel. It's important that we understand, appreciate what the gospel is, Okay. Um, and so, this morning, I will be talking on what is the gospel. Can you open your Bibles with me to um, the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians? So, that's 1 Corinthians and chapter 15. 1 Corinthians and chapter 15, I'll read from verse 1 to 8. 1 Corinthians. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word, I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures It was according to the scriptures. Then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters. Most of whom are still living, though some are falling asleep. Then he appeared to James. 
then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. As to one, okay. time of hearing the gospel or if you have heard it for so long and perhaps do not have a good understanding of what it is or you know what it is for everyone that is present there is something relevant that we need to appreciate about the gospel so the first thing I want to quickly talk about what is the gospel what is the gospel uh, you see the word gospel it's from the Greek word euangelion okay and simply put it just means it just means good news. Yeah? It just means good news. That's what it means in its basic sense. But obviously, we're going to go into the details of what it actually means. What, what is the good news and all of that um, as we go on. So, the word gospel means good news. And I just want to ask at this point in time, how many of us love good news? Okay. Can you give me an example of good news? A job promotion, yeah? Coming to church. David said, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the hospital, yeah? Babies being born, okay? Yeah, I mean, you can talk about first pregnancy. You know, when I, was talking, when I was thinking about good news, I thought about first pregnancy. You know, when you, when you fall pregnant the first time, I mean, you, you can't, you, you know, the, the doctor comes into the room and says, congratulations. And you're like, oh my God. <laughs> and then you can't wait for your husband to get back from work. You know, First pregnancy. And even as the guy, you're like, you know, you're pinching yourself. Like, is it true? <laughs> or maybe when the child has been born eventually and they start calling you daddy or something, or, you know, you're like, ah, is it true? And then I thought about when your visa is granted. How many of you can relate to that? That's good news. <laughs> Where you just have that letter come through the post and then see UK immigrations and visas, and they say, We are pleased to. Uh, you know what the writer of Proverbs says? It says, Like a cold water upon a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. That's the impact and the effect good news has on the soul, it refreshes. You're like, ah, oh, praise God. Good news. Job offers. Okay, how many of you hate bad news? I mean, if you don't hate bad news, we have to pray for you right now. <laughs> okay, yeah, we should. Um, example of bad news. Sorry? 
Oh. <laughs> oh, for a serial lover. Hmm, maybe. But bad health. Losing a job. Losing loved ones. Okay. So you talk about doctor diagnoses, they come around, you know, and just like they bear good news sometimes, they come around and say, I'm sorry, or I'm afraid. You know when you hear the word, I'm afraid, you are getting afraid immediately. Okay, what is he going to say? Um, terrorist attack, you know, all sorts around. Um, how many of you hate fake news? <laughs> Example of fake news. Brexit's going to happen next week. <laughs> Okay, another one. Someone pulls out April Fool on you or something like that. Yeah? We hate fake news, don't we? So the good thing about this morning is that I've got good news for you. Amen? So the news I want to share with you this morning is good news. It is true, it is real, and it is very good. What is the gospel? The gospel, I said, is the, is, means good news. And good news about what? Now, I remember growing up in Nigeria, there's this soap. Um, and, you know, it's like a house. There's the father of the house. And it's like a, poly, a polygamous kind of setting. So, you know, the guy has many wives. And, and sometimes it happens that if any of the kids or the wives, you know, have done something wrong maybe the night before or even on the day, and then you come in the morning, to greet him as the head of the house, and you say, good morning, daddy, or uh, good morning, my husband. And then he looks at you and says, what is good about the morning? I want to ask the same question, what is good about the news? If you call it good news, what makes it good news? You know, we've given examples about good news, you know, that we know, that we've heard, that we've experienced, but this is particularly called the good news. So it's not just one of those good news. It's not just one of those ex- exciting news. But Bible particularly calls it the good news. There is something definite, specific, unique about this news that makes it good. So my question this morning is, what is good about the, good, about the news? What is the goodness of the gospel? What, what, what is in the gospel that makes it uniquely good news? Amen. So if we go back to our text, 1 Corinthians and chapter 15, Paul says, I deliver unto you something. I preach something to you. And you believe on that thing, and you stand on that thing, and by that thing you were saved, and Paul says that thing is the gospel. So what is the gospel? The gospel means good news about Christ's death and resurrection for the sin of the world. You see, in the gospel, there is a declaration of how God dealt with man's greatest problem. In the gospel, there is a declaration of God meeting the need of man at the very core. You see, on the surface, from man's point of view, it might not readily appear as good because man does not have a good understanding of his needs. If it was left for man, man wouldn't have chosen 
that to be the news. If, if, if God was to say to man, tell me whatever you want me to do for you, I'll do for you. Perhaps, I suspect strongly, man would not ask God to deal with the forgiveness of his sins. And so, what makes it good isn't because man understands it perfectly, because man would have preferred a different need to be met. But because God in his wisdom and in his knowledge knew that that was the greatest need, my heart. And so the gospel is the story, is the proclamation of how God dealt with man's problem of sin and eternal destiny. And so we're just going to see it break down here. Now, the first thing I want you to see here in this um, passage that we read, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, is the fact that Paul says, I want to remind you. In fact, look at the word now. If you read some other version to say, moreover. Paul was talking to the Corinthians, and he has said so many things in 14 chapters. And he got to chapter 15, and he says, moreover, brothers and sisters, or now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you. So Paul here is not declaring to them a new truth. Paul here is not declaring to them something they did not know or were never aware of. Paul here was reminding them something that they knew that he already told them. In Acts chapter 18, Paul found himself in a city called Corinth just after he left Athens. And when he got to Corinth, he met a couple, Priscilla and Aquila, and he threw joined on to them and he went to the temple, preached to the Jews, and then went, spent a year and a half thereabout in Corinth, preaching the gospel, establishing the church there. Now, at this point, Paul is saying, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you the gospel that I preached to you in Act 18, so to speak, that formed the basis of your faith. And that suggests to me that Paul was saying, in the midst of all the confusion that was going on in Corinth, Paul was suggesting that I want to take you back to the fundamentals. I want to take you back to the news. I want to take you back to the gospel that you heard because it seems to me that the reason why you're so distracted, that you're so confused and there's so much disorderliness and, you know, confusion among you is because you seem to have forgotten the gospel. So Paul is directing their mind. He said, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you. The gospel I preach to you. That I preach to you. <laughs> it says that you received and in which you take your stand. Now let me say quickly, what gospel did Paul declare to them? Look at it. Verse 3. It says, for, I for what I received... I passed on to you of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. Now right there is an explanation of the gospel. So Paul said I preach something to you and this is what it is. I preach to you that Christ died for our sins. 
That's the first element of the gospel. Christ died for our sins. You see, that Christ died is a fact. But that Christ died for our sins is salvation. Does that make sense to you? So, the fact that Christ died is good to know. It's a fact of history. It can't be denied, even though there are many efforts to deny it. But beyond that fact of history, Paul says this is the gospel. That Christ, when he died, he wasn't just dying for the fun of it. He wasn't just trying to be a superman and be some sort of a hero. When he was dying, he was dying for our sins. Are you seeing the good in the news? There was a problem with humanity. There was a problem God wanted to deal with, which obviously is the problem of sin. And the reason is because sin has a consequence. Sin has an end. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, Bible says the wages of sin is death. And not just physical death, but eternal death. And so God sent Jesus to die not for our sin. You know, remember the conversation on the cross. So there were two criminals that were crucified with Jesus. And one of them was like, well, if you are the son of God, why not save yourself and save us also? And, and that's the irony of the picture because if he saved himself, he wouldn't have been able to save us. And so he, he stayed on the tree, not because he couldn't get out of the tree, what kept him on the tree was not the nails, was not anything that held him there, what kept him on the tree was the mission, was the purpose, was the love of the Father, and so if he saved himself, he wouldn't have been able to save us, so the criminal said, if you were the son of God, why don't you save yourself and save us also, and then the other criminal answered, well, shut up, you are a criminal, you are suffering for what you've done. But this man has done no wrong. Again, the gospel there. So why was he suffering? He wasn't suffering for his own sins. He was suffering for the sin of another. It was a substitution. It was a sacrifice. It was a ransom. Paul says the gospel that I preach to you of first importance is that Christ died for our sins. Are we still together? That's the first element of, his, of, of the gospel. Christ died for our sins. Now, he moves on. He says, and he was buried. Now, I love the idea that he was buried because Paul uses that to establish the fact that he, he, he didn't enter coma. He just didn't pass out. He, he just didn't become unconscious. He died. Clinically dead, confirmed dead. So much so that they considered, well, the next thing to do is to get rid of the body, put it in the tomb, because he is so dead. So Paul says, and he was buried. Okay, you know, some people say in trying to deny the death of Jesus said, well, what happened was that there was a swap, you know, um, so Jesus, you know, was appearing and all that, and then when it was about time for him to die, they swapped him, and then someone, you know, helps 
pose on the tree. The lie of the devil. You know, someone would say the greatest lie devil ever told from the pit of hell. Now, Paul says he died and he was buried. Look at the next thing. It says, and he was raised the third day. You see, this is another element of the gospel. So Paul says he died for our sins. But not just that he died, because the story of the gospel does not finish, does not make sense if he died. That in itself is sad news. But what makes the gospel complete is the fact that on the third day, what happened, he was raised. You see, we'll look at the resurrection of Jesus more closely on Wednesday at the Passion Connect. But let me just say, because of what I'm teaching this morning, that, you know, Bible tells us, please open your Bibles with me, Romans chapter 4 and verse 25. Let's go in there quickly. Romans 4, 25. You see, the resurrection of Jesus was so pivotal, was so important to the gospel that if he had remained dead, then there would be no gospel. In fact, that is the argument of 1 Corinthians 15. Because some people came around and said there is no resurrection of the dead. And Paul came and said, See, there is that statement that you, are talk, that you just made has so much implications. Because if you say there is no resurrection of the dead, what you're saying is that first and foremost, because Christ came as a man and he died, it means he did not rise. Now, if Christ did not rise from the dead, then... You have no faith. Why? Because the basis of your faith, the gospel you heard, was that Christ died for your sins and that he, ra he was raised again the third day. So if you remove the resurrection of Jesus from the gospel, you do not have a gospel. You have a disillusion. You are confused. He said, your faith is vain. In other words, he's saying you are believing in something that is empty of power that cannot save you. You are only deceiving yourself. If you say there is no resurrection, then there's nothing to have faith in. So Paul says Jesus died for our sins according to scriptures. He was buried and on the third day he was raised again. I, I called out Romans chapter 4, 25. Are we there? So the Bible says that he, Jesus, was delivered unto death for, are, are you still here? So he was given to death for our sins. And then what happened? He was raised back to life for our, you see, the resurrection of Jesus is the good news that the death of Jesus on our behalf or for our sins was enough payment to declare us not guilty. So if he had remained dead, what that would have meant was that that didn't go, that didn't fly. That's not sufficient. Try again. You see, in the Old Testament, when the high priest, you know, went into the holiest of all, the holiest of all was like the very 
presence of God where the high priest would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people of Israel. And it used to be the practice that they would tie a rope, a chain actually, round about his waist, and then there would be bells round about, you know, his gown. Okay? So as he moved within the holiest of all, they would hear the bell sound and ring, meaning that activity was going on and he was doing his work. And then if for a while they don't hear the bell ring, there is a sense of, hmm, maybe he's dead. Yeah? And so what happens is if the high priest goes in and does not come back alive, that means something went wrong with the sacrifice. It didn't go well. But if he went in and came back alive, it meant that what he went before the Lord to offer was pleasing and was accepted. And so God says, acquainted, discharged, free, forgiven. And so the man comes out alive. A picture of the death of Jesus. So when Jesus died, John 19 and verse 30, what did he say? It is done, accomplished, fulfilled, finished. So when Jesus hung on the tree, when he died, he fully paid for our sins. And his resurrection from the dead was a testimonial to the fact that sin has been fully paid for. So Paul says, this is the good news. That the sacrifice of Jesus for you and I was accepted by the Father. And therefore, we are free. You know, we sang so much about freedom today. See, that freedom did not come cheap. If you knew what the Son of God paid for you to be free, you will dance. It was delivered unto death for our sins, and it was raised again for our justification. I feel like quoting Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Let's go there very quickly. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Let's have a quick look at that. What does it say? Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore... Because since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, Amen. We have what with God now? Peace. We have peace with God through what the Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ, has done. So Jesus bore the penalty of our sins upon himself on the cross. He died. He rose again. That is the gospel. So Paul says that it is by this gospel that you're saved. It is by this gospel that you're saved. You see, any gospel that does not capture the fact that Jesus died for our sins and that he was buried, and on the third day he rose again from the dead for our justification, cannot save. 
it cannot save. It's not a complete gospel. And so if you are ever going to approach somebody in a bid to share the gospel of Jesus with them, you must tell them that he died for their sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised again. Paul said, this is what I preached to you. This is what got you saved. You see, God is all-powerful and can do anything that he wants to do. But God says, if I'm going to save men, it must be by the gospel. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? He says, because it is the power of God to save. See, 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 the, see the definite article. See, the gospel is the means by which God saves. Now, if that gospel is not preached in its totality, in its simplicity, you know, some people get offended by how simple it is. You mean someone died for my sins? He was raised again the third day. If I believe I'm saved? Yes. And so they get offended by how simple that gospel is the later side. Some people, because it's so simple, try to make it a bit more complex just because it looks too simple. And then when you change it, when you try to make it more appealing or you try to make it more demanding so that someone can know that ah, it's not that easy now. It has to be more than just believing that, you know, someone died, rose again. If you change it, if you remove any element of the gospel, you are toiling with the means by which God saves. Because that gospel, as simple as it is, Paul says, that is the power of God to save. Paul says, this is what I preach, and this is what got you saved. L let, me, let me round off by highlighting three things. What you must do with the gospel, very quickly. What you must do with the gospel. Number one, you must receive it. You must receive it, guys. You must receive the gospel. And I really want to challenge everyone here. It doesn't matter how long you've been around in church. You don't get automatically saved until you receive the gospel. See, you can be part of the visible church, but you might not be part of the church. Because the means by which God brings men into relationship with himself, the means by which God forgives the sin of man and brings man into an eternal relationship and bleeds with himself is through the gospel. And what must happen is you must receive the gospel. Paul said, I preached you the gospel. 
and you received it. And because you received it, you were saved by it. I want to challenge you here. If you're here and you have not received the gospel, can I, can I really, really be bold this morning? Can I challenge our young people, youth? You know, you've been coming to church for years and years and years. I want to ask you, have you received the gospel? You see, the gospel does not transfer by genes. In other words, your parents' faith does not rub off on you automatically. You, as an individual, must understand the gospel and must receive the gospel. So the first thing you must do with the gospel is you must receive it. And you must appreciate that it's good news. It's the good news of how God so loved the world that he gave his son Jesus to take your place so that he might give you a place at the right hand of the Father. You must receive the gospel. Number two, this gospel must be preached. So, going back to what Paul said. See, this is what I preached. Romans chapter 10, the Bible tells us, How shall people believe on the one they have not heard? Don't forget we said the gospel is the means by which God saves. And so, for men to be saved, they must hear the gospel. Now, for them to hear the gospel, there must be a preacher. Someone must tell them the gospel, which is what we are doing by going out to our community to tell them about the gospel. Now, every one of us who have received the gospel at one point in time or the other have the responsibility to preach the gospel. Mark 16 and verse 11, what does it say? If you are still here, flip to Mark 16 and verse 15. Mark 16, 15. Anyone there? Sorry, say that again. And he said to them, that's Jesus, go into all the world and preach and publish openly the good news to every creature of the whole human race. So we have been, you know, that was a statement Jesus made after he died and rose again. And he said, see, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You go. Go with this mandate. Preach. You know, that word preach, I love that transition. It's what publish. It's what proclaim. You know, it's like a town crier. He comes to the town center and he declares, Jesus died for your sins. And he was raised the third day for your justification. Believe on him and be saved. This is the word of the king. It doesn't add anything to it. It doesn't remove anything from it. It just declares it as the king gave him instruction. And that simple message when preached is the power of God to save. You know, Paul made an argument in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He said, see, the Jews, they wanted signs. 
The Greeks, they wanted wisdom. They wanted something that is very intellectually stimulating. Not something that makes sense, you know, like Socrates and Aristotle. You know, we debate and we, we enter some philosophical arguments. Paul said, I can't be bothered with that. I just preach Christ and him crucified and that's it. I'm not interested in eloquence. I'm not interested in some wisdom. I just want to preach the simple message of Christ's death, his resurrection, believe on it, and you're saved. Paul said to the Jews, it is a stumbling block. To the Greek, it's foolishness. But to us who are saved, it is the power of God. When you think about how you got saved, sometimes don't you stand back amazed like, what's special about that message? How, how did I get to that point where I just heard that simple thing and I said, yes, it's the power of God. And the last thing I want to say to us that we must do with the gospel is that we must continue in the gospel. You see, the gospel is not a seasonal message. It's not one of those sweet and nice-sounding things in the mix that we deep in and out of. The gospel is not something we get saved by, and then down the line, we just move on to some more high-sounding, nice stuff. The gospel is the message by which we are saved, and it is the message we must continue in. Hence, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul had to remind the Corinthians. You see, this is the gospel you heard. This was what got you saved. What's wrong with you people? He reminded them of the gospel. He said, see, you took your stand in this gospel. Don't shake. Don't move away from it. Don't drift to the right or to the left. Don't embrace any other message. The gospel is central. The gospel is the focal point. The gospel is the message. There is no other message, guys, but the gospel. We must continue in it. We must See what he says to them. You took your stand in it. You are saved by it. If you hold firmly to the word that I you, otherwise you have believed in vain. So the gospel thought is something we must continue in. The same message that God has said about God's love, God's grace, God's forgiveness in the death and the resurrection of Jesus is the same message we live by, we embrace. Let me close by referring to Galatians on chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. You know, Paul preached to a group of guys in Galatia. And after Paul left them, some other people came around and started teaching them something else. They started to say to them that the gospel is not enough. They started saying to them that, see, you must add some things to it. You see, you can't just say you believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Therefore, you are saved and justified and free and you are in a relationship with God. That's too naive. That's too myopic. That's just too simple. You must be circumcised. You must obey the laws. You must, you know, do some do's and don'ts. And Paul came back to them and said, I am afraid 
Let's go there. Galatians in chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. And I'll just read to us. From verse 6. So Paul says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ to, and you're turning to a different gospel. It says, which is really no gospel at all. Does that make sense? Because there can't be another gospel. It has to be the gospel or it's not the gospel. So Paul says, I'm, a, I'm surprised that you're so soon removed from the gospel of Christ to another gospel, which really is not another gospel. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. That's how serious it is. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Did you see the gravity of it? Paul said, I preached something to you at the very start. That was what got you saved. Paul said, see, I'm surprised that you're drifting away from this simple message. We've looked at what the gospel is, what he preached. Christ's death, Christ's resurrection, believe on it, and you're saved. Paul says some people are coming to you, deceiving you, confusing you, and you're drifting. I want you to know, guys, and, and, it, and you could see the tone. Paul says, see, even if I, Paul, comes back to you and says to you that the work of Jesus is not sufficient for your salvation, let me go to hell. Because he says, because there cannot be another gospel. It's one gospel. So my encouragement is, it's the same gospel. We must continue in it. We must keep looking at it. We must keep beholding it. We must keep standing in it. Because that is the means by which we were saved. The means by which we are being saved. And the means by which we shall be saved. Can we stand together as we finish this morning? I just wanted to close your eyes if you can and just thank God for the gospel. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for his death. Thank God for his resurrection. I just want you to, you know, consciously call to mind the sacrifice of Jesus. The sufficiency of that sacrifice. Even though it's so simple, but it's so powerful. It's so powerful. And I just wanted to thank God for it. Thank God for offering his son. And thank God for Christ's death on the cross. And thank God for his resurrection from the dead. And thank God for drawing you near. Because some people just can't see that gospel. But God caused you to see it. You came to it. You believed on it. And you were saved by it. Just express some gratitude this morning. Come on. Thank him for the cross. Thank him for the cross.